This is Coda Radio, episode 231 for November 14th, 2016. And welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two great sponsors, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this here show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us, perched on the East Coast, queued up and ready to go for today's podcast. Why, yes, it's Mr. Michael Dominic. Hello, Mike. Hello, Internet listeners. If you're hearing me, that means that Donald Trump did not win the presidential election. And if you're not, it means nothing. Hmm. I like it. Could be we could be in a forked reality right now. So anything goes in this podcast. We can say like the the right. Captain Picard's Enterprise will find this recording one day. Yeah. And it will be like the future that could have been. Right. So we should probably cover some ground in this week's episode. Let's do it. Which means we should talk about Docker. This is what we should do. We should talk about Docker. We should talk about artificial intelligence and bots. We should talk about killing scrums and uh, making times for side projects. So that seems like the appropriate thing to communicate to the future future us. Let's do it. I don't know. Okay, well, Mr. Dominic, uh, you and I have talked about Docker since it was just uh, uh, a baby, just a little baby Docker. Oh, a baby boy. Oh, and uh, we have talked about it on and off over the ages, and one of the things we've started getting into the show a lot is, uh, hey guys, Docker is actually shit. I don't know if you've used it, but it's actually horrible to use in production. It falls apart constantly. Uh, new things get broken. Uh, they, they promised would be great, and uh, it's a dumpster fire. And uh, this is the HFT guy, and he has a history of Docker failures. Whoa, 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 as Bernie says, whoa. A Docker in production, a history of it's failures. The, what? It's the millionaires and billionaires with the continuous deployment. Sorry. <laughs> yes, exactly. He uh, says we have 12 Dockerized uh, applications running in production as I write this article spread over 31 hosts on AWS. And this article is a journey of Docker failures and unexpected turns and adventures. A breaking changes and regression. Each new version came with breaking changes. We started on Docker 1.6 early this year to run a single application. We updated three months later because we needed a fix only available in later versions. And the 1.6 version branch was already abandoned. The 1.7 and 1.8 versions, they wouldn't run. We moved to 1.9 only to find a critical bug on two, in two weeks later. So then we had to upgrade again to 1.10. There are all kind of subtle regressions between Docker versions. It's constantly breaking unpredictable stuff in unexpected ways. The most tricky regressions we had to debug were network-related. Docker entirely abstracting the host networking. It's a big mess of port redirection, DNS tricks, and virtual networks. It goes on. I mean, there's so, a lot. Like, uh, so, all right. So let, let, let's. I'm going to dig into this. This is like a juicy steak. Mm. Oh god, that first, sounds good. I haven't had steak in months. Dude, you've been going on about food for like an hour. Did you just need to like stop and get something to eat? Have I? A little bit, yeah. No, I've been talking about burgers in the pre-show for like 15 minutes. That's not an hour. 
Uh, I'm on my second time, Adam. So you are you are on East Coast time, where everything is sped up. Fifteen minutes is fast. You've been in the bathroom for ten seconds. Stop playing with yourself and get back to work. <laughs> Sorry. Whoa, whoa. All right. So uh, dumpster it's fire. We keep hearing dumpster this. Uh, Wes, uh, co-host on Linux Unplugged, he doesn't he doesn't I think have anything really negative to say about Docker, but he finds that LXDE is just simpler, more straightforward for the mini containers he needs uh, for his his job. They've also abandoned using Docker. So let's. First of all, I feel the need to defend your honor. You and I on the show have actually mentioned some struggles with Docker in production. Fair enough. But our, my argument, I won't ascribe this to you because I don't really know what you think, has been that the good outweighs the bad. I will say that upgrading Docker in a production environment sucks, right? It is a recipe for downtime. It's not fun. You have to do it at two in the morning, just like in the nineties when you were moving servers. Um, I have said in the past, and I, I wonder if you would agree with this, Chris, that Docker showed a lot more promise when it was a scrappy open source project. And when it became a little more commercialized, when a lot of money, when a lot of uh, uh, digital ink, so to speak, got bled on it, kind of start moving too fast, getting too aggressive, right? Oh, so, wow. I did not expect you to go this direction. I thought you were going to call me a hippie for saying that. And I'm going to take it further. I think what we're witnessing with Docker is a core concept that's pretty solid and it's been bared out in other platforms over the generations. So that's why I picked up immediately because people really recognize a use case here, especially when you want to really scale. The problem is, is what we are witnessing is the productization of an open source feature and part of uh, what is a new trend of taking a platform feature and trying to build not just a business but an industry around it. And that's what – Docker didn't try to build a business. They tried to build an entire industry. And if, you, if you've never been to DockerCon, then you don't have any standing here because I've been to DockerCon. I've gone there and I've seen many big businesses trying to make money off of orchestration software and solving problems with Docker and abstracting Docker out even further than it already is and making things to manage and solve Docker problems and secure Docker systems. And there is a huge – huge amount of industry momentum behind Docker as a product and an industry. And there's not as much focus on the actual core open source scrappy technology, like the really boring stuff. And that's why other container technologies are actually getting traction because that's what they're focusing on is just basic containerization. And what I think it's the unfortunate thing that I must be unavoidable when you start getting millions of dollars in VC funding behind an open source project. And then you start getting heavyweights like Red Hat in the industry pushing you to hit that 1.0 release so they can be justified to ship it in Red Hat Enterprise 7.0. And you start getting these external pressures from CPU vendors and the Linux Foundation. And all of a sudden, you're no longer making this little core technology. You're building out this huge platform that people want to build well, on top of. Well, wow. And that's so not what they're good at. Well, there's a lot to unpack there, right? One, I think it's really interesting that Red Hat is both a Docker consumer and at one point was a Docker competitor. I know that sounds insane, but does anybody else remember OpenStack? Well, here's what happened is uh, there was moderate traction. OpenStack is still very use- very useful, very valuable, but it's a little right. bit of an older – it's an older model. Now, here's the problem. Red Hat, at the end of the day, needs to sell Red Hat licenses. And so when they saw the brand of Docker skyrocketing, and there was a lot of industry interest to to promote that brand, they needed to include it in their product to make their product competitive with the other enterprise Linux distros. 
They had to make that change. So I'm actually a little surprised that you and I agree, to be honest with you, because I, you know, I expected you to kind of defend Docker. They're an open source project, sort of. Um, they, you know, they're, I still use them in production, and I actually, it's my preferred deployment mechanism, uh, Docker and Doku. But I, I am, I guess I'm wondering where, where do you think they went wrong? Like, was there a turning point for you? I think it's focus. You know, I think it really okay. does come down to focus and what are you passionate about. And they started when, – when, when we talked to them, it really was about creating this containerized platform that could deliver software. For deploying web applications. Yeah, really. and maybe solve like – and solve yeah. packaging. It really wasn't about right. security and stuff like that. And it might – like here's something you could do instead of virtualization. It was really cool. And these guys were working on this thing. Um, but – when when it became so much more than that, when your focus gets stretched, when your priorities are constantly being redirected by outside influencers or, who are paying the bills, I just think this is what happens. It's so it, it's so funny because for me there actually was like a like an inflection point. In this. Oh, oh, really? Maybe what when is I, it? When I when I really felt like I saw a change. Now I'm not going to get the version number right, so I'm not even going to bother trying. Uh, someone in the chat can just like go ahead and put it in the comments. It was when they started pushing big data functionality. I actually think it's I you know now that now that you ask me Mike I actually think it's before that. Okay, you think it's earlier than they did that. Okay. I think it's when they arbitrarily revved to 1.0 when they when it wasn't a 1.0 product. And it was so indicative of using using Docker before it's ready and and that's such a common criticism and then here the company arbitrarily throws in some features that aren't baked yet and calls it 1.0 just so that way their their partner Red Hat can ship it in their enterprise Linux. That was a compromise mm-hmm. when I saw that. That I thought that is a bad sign. There is this is being used more as a marketing tool than it is as an actual systems well, tool. That, well, that, that's like you know we're on Swift version three. I'm you know just want to throw that out there. Right? Mm. That's kind of like version numbers as marketing points. But I think it's interesting because so you don't think. See, I kind of feel like Docker one hundred was ready for the original scope of the project, which was... There was deploying. some, there was some a, core security issues back then around like a verification of images and stuff that they hadn't sure, solved out. Just deploying an image of a web application, not using Docker Hub, not using anybody else's images, right? Making your own and deploying it, it worked and it was fine. And when you got into some of the more advanced features about using other people's images, you know, all that kind of fancy stuff, yes, there were issues... I, I guess I guess where we're going to disagree is I think that their scope has become too broad, right? That they're trying to be the deployment mm-hmm. containerization solution mm-hmm. yeah, for I everyone. Yeah, no, I agree. Right. When really they – when we had them on the air, it was so clear that, hey, you are the guys who are going to make deploying Rails apps yeah. to all these customers with, that have their weird When I went to DockerCon, it was all about building and doing the stuff that Docker is now just building into the platform. They are like piranhas in their own pond right now. Yeah, they're, it's almost like they're trying to become the one tool that you use for your DevOps. And if you use Docker, you don't need anything else, which is really – I mean, do you feel like it's kind of a – Yeah, that's the, that's I think the people that are running the finances and now setting the priorities, that's their vision to a long-term sustainable company. I mean, just dicking around with some open source code, you end up with something called Jails that's been around for a decade that nobody knows about. That doesn't get you anything. Well, and let's be fair. What is it, Rocket? I mean, there's and there's Adam. There's all these other 
containerization technologies. But you that see, you but my use. point is, without this business hype component of Docker, what makes it any different than LXDE or Jails? From from a from a public awareness standpoint, those technologies are around. Nobody knows about them. LXD too. But you get my point. Like Docker is a brand name. Docker is something everybody in IT knows about. Oh, everybody in development. I, you see. I, oh, believe me, I had a call the other week about containers, and the guy said to me, "You mean Docker, right?" Yes, it's the TiVo and Kleenex yeah. of containers because of business that bad? component. I mean, if, if they were to you know trim their scope back down to what they're good at, that'd be amazing. I mean, I only use Docker. But where then, where's the, where's the multi-billion-dollar revenue company? I would pay them. I mean, I wouldn't pay them. Multi- I don't have multi-billion dollars, but I'd no, pay but them I just I think a license of a couple thousand dollars a year. Yeah. Well, I mean, they they could be a proprietary support model here. That I I know I said the p word. I know I said it. I'm sorry. No, Steve. Uh, uh, no, no, no I'm just going to let nothing. you, I mean, what, are you, you I mean, to have that one? No, I, I got it. It's negative. I was just going to let you sit in it for a second. I, 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 yeah, I was waiting, I mean. Yeah, I just like but, that. You got you know, to waff it. I, mean, I almost feel like some of the hype, like that TechCrunch and, and uh, GigaOM before they kind of went bankrupt, gave Docker was very damaging to the product, right? Yeah, well, what what, what, are, what are both those companies were VC companies. Their VC guys run those companies. Right? Yeah, there's yeah. a real need. Like, my local cafe needs a website, right? They want a semi-advanced website, so let's do it on Rails. And they don't want to do Heroku or whatever, so let's put them on Docker and Doku on a DO droplet. That is a real business case. It's not a sexy business case. It's a business case that, you know, is boring, but that's what pays the yeah, bills. Yeah, most that's of why, I, like I said, it's a great idea. Right. I think it's you're right. A, if they could trim awesome back, the, if they could trim back the right. core scope and really focus on that stuff, and you know, keep the Docker Hub and all that stuff, but you know, make it nice, make it, make it something that does become an industry standard. I think they'd have a great company. I just don't think well, that's their goal. And, and, I, and that's and what's I ruining say, them. Just to, right. Just to be positive, though. Right. Docker is still open source. So, and I think it's going to still be successful despite yeah. a lot of this. I, I think Docker Inc. is actually the biggest risk to Docker because <laughs> the competitors have no traction. I mean, I, I don't mean, like, if you guys are contributors to the competitors, I don't mean to downplay your efforts. But, you know, I go into meetings, I get RFPs, I get emails with leads. If I hear about containerization, which I will admit is super rare, it's Docker by the name, right? It's, it's like the, uh, Chris was saying, the Kleenex. It's Docker by the name. It's not, we would like to containerize this application. And with that, I guess, it's what? We come to the conclusion that Docker continues to be the industry standard, even if it is a bit of a dumpster fire, and we just hope they work their things out. Well, we hope that the power of the open source community, if they go too far, is able to fork it or ran them in, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I hope, I hope, I hope that the competition from some of the other technologies out there forces them to lean up. Well, and, you know, Plan 9 in the chat actually has a great point, and clearly he's a BSD devil, that technically Docker is very different than Jails, but it, from a conceptual point of view, it does definitely serve the same purpose. And frankly, who's deploying BSD? I mean, Chris, move on quickly. Go. Right, go. Well, I insulted BSD. Well, I see right now, <clears throat> as this airs, 
I'm in California at a BSD event, so that's a little weird. That's a little oh. comfortable for me. It's, it's awkward. A awkward. I'm going to move over to Linux Academy real quick and mention linuxacademy.com slash coders. That's where you go to support the show and sign up for a seven-day free trial. Now, containers is a great example of some of the courseware that you could learn over at Linux Academy. What I like about Linux Academy is they've taken the funding they've received and they've invested in their existing courseware and expanding out new courseware and, in hire, and hiring human beings that help you when you need it. They have instructor mentoring. That's, a, that's, that's such a great way to go. And so whatever it might be, Docker, containerization, or Linux fundamentals, or, or higher up things like AWS and Azure, Linux Academy has great courseware on its self-paced, in-depth video courses on damn near every Linux, cloud, and DevOps topic. They have labs that give you hands-on, scenario-based experience. The course schedule, where you can pick a course and set a time frame to fit your schedule and learning goals. Note cards that are forked by the community. And nuggets, which are tiny bits of sparkly wisdom about specific things, where you just got like a couple of hours or one you want one topic, you deep dive, you knock it out with a nugget. I think that's awesome, actually. <laughs> I like the learning paths, too. Like, if you've got a specific thing in mind, they have career track type learning paths that you can jump down and really get something of value very quickly. And then if you've got free time, like you're in public transit or you're carpooling with somebody, they have iOS and Android apps you can study on the go. And of course, they have downloadable comprehensive study guides you can take with you, lesson audio, personal notebooks, and tools to help you study. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. Go there to support the show and learn more and sign up for a seven-day free trial. And a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. All right, Mr. Dominic, I think now we begin to disagree. Samsung is, like, trying to totally get everybody to stop talking about the Note. Stop making exploding jokes, guys, and let's start talking about the Galaxy S8. They announced, without saying much, that Samsung will include an AI digital assistant built into the Galaxy 8. Uh, This was announced on Sunday. This is kind of interesting. They say developers will be able to attach and upload services to their agent. I don't know exactly what that means, but they're referring to the AI assistant in that statement. And uh, this will probably be shipping, they say, in early 2017. They say probably uh, maybe the first quarter, but who knows? You know, those things shift around. But that's the Galaxy S8. It's going gonna, it's gonna to premiere with a Samsung's own AI and digital assistant. What do you think, Mike? So I saw you put this in the doc, and I was going to use it as an opportunity to talk about bots. That's kind of why I put it. Is. That's kind of why I put it in. Yep. There, yeah, this is. Uh, I I find nothing about this phone interesting, and nor would I recommend that anybody buy a Samsung phone because they, you I, know, explode. I'm kind of disappointed because I feel like you think AI and bots are a huge opportunity in a big market, and then somebody huge in the market comes along and says, "All right, we're going to do our AI and our bot," and then you poo poo it. That's not true at all. We had a whole show, whole show about the Google Assistant. I know, but now Samsung tries to do their take on it, and you're like, eh, well, you know. All right, then let's talk about what they said in that press release, which, by the way, that is definitely just a press release. Yeah. Not yeah, actual yeah. journalism, but we can fight about that later. Yeah. Um, sure. So Samsung is going to have AI technology on their uh, – it's a Galaxy S8, right? It's yeah. not a Note 8. They were smart right. enough not to call it a Note. Okay. All right. And you can upload your own um, – They said calling, services yeah, to our agent. It really means a bot, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, every, Slack would call it a bot. Microsoft would call it a bot. Yeah, that's Google what I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's exactly, sounds exactly like the Microsoft bot framework. It sounds like the Slack uh, framework, which I'm working with. I would recommend that if you're looking to get into this, check out an open source project called BotKit. It's on GitHub. It's beautiful. It's in Node.js, and it kind of is an abstraction layer above Microsoft bot framework, the Slack uh, bot API. And a 
collection of services. I mean, it has Skype, it has Twilio, it has um, a few other things that you may be interested in. Facebook Messenger. Facebook Messenger, thank you. Here's my question. Why do I want a Samsung-specific bot? This is where this story doesn't make a lot of sense to me. You don't. Like other, just, than, I, other than compet- yeah. competition is good for the market. However, I was just going to – just because I wanted to pin you down and say it's not fair for you to be all in on bots, blah, 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 and then somebody comes along and does a bot and you're like, screw them. Yeah. Get out of here. You're awful. They're making a bot platform. Well, there's going to be a lot more of these. Amazon's probably going to launch one. Apple's probably going to have something more with Siri. I don't really know. Yeah, but it won't be able to do anything. Yeah, all you so, guys shit on Siri constantly. And by the way, I'm the one that finds it to be the only actual useful personal assistant for the things that I actually want to talk to my phone for. Like, I don't, okay. Reminders. Wait, 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 wait. Reminders are better. I'm sorry. I don't know if Siri's never been to New Jersey, but she cannot understand a fucking thing I'm saying. <laughs> really? I don't ever have that compared to... I actually find... I find nuances speech uh, uh, recognition to be the best. By quite a bit. Really? Yeah, I, I will. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. My Nexus 5X understands everything I say and it does everything correctly. My iPhone 7 is like, Michael, I don't know what the hell you're talking about, you I, stupid bastard. I, I definitely have had a different experience, but here's what I'm talking about. The, the location-based reminders and the, mm-hmm. the reminder task management that you can do verbally combined with the ability to summon the phone remotely. So I can say from across the room, hey, phone, and then set a reminder for when I get to work, and it just works. I can tell you consistently I've had failures with that on Google phones, specifically Nexuses, and the way they present it to you is not all that useful because it ends up in a now card if you use the voice dictation. And a now card isn't isn't in my face enough to actually remind me until I'm back home and I pull out my now cards. Oh, sh- that's right. I was meant to do that at work. Whereas Siri actually gives me a modal alert that actually triggers an alert sound. Right. Let's do a real-time test. Hey, Siri, remind me to mock Chris Fisher in five minutes. God damn it, it worked. Yeah, it does oh, no, work. No, it, it said mar- mark, not it mark. Is, it, I, find, I find some of its functionality to be some of the things that I want the best. But I, I'm not saying the search it does it all that great and things like that. But I think, you know what, the, the Samsung thing is going to suck. But this, I think, confirms what you've been thinking, that this is a big thing. And this is, I think, the other notable thing about this story, before we completely move on, that I'm done with it. I think it's extremely notable that Samsung chose to hype this particular aspect to get people to stop talking about the note. Like this is the thing they decided to touch on was AI and bots. I think that indicates. Oh, no, I, I, I mean, if you follow me on Twitter, you know that I, I'm working a lot of late nights working on a bot, right? It's... I think though that this also indicates that Samsung knows that's where a lot of energy is going. Yeah. And that's why they're so, hyping this particular aspect. So I would love to take a quick opportunity here since you opened the door to talk about BotKit a little bit. Let's do it. I just put a link in the show notes if people want to check it out. Beautiful. I love show notes. So this is an open source um, sort of abstraction layer. And we I just mentioned that I know. What I find really interesting about that is basically you're like I'm running mine on a right now on Heroku for dev, but I'm going to probably within the next month deploy it to a DO droplet. It's basically just a Node.js app, right? And it it just ties into these servers. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I was just going to read here. It says, BotKit Studio is a hosted development environment for bots from the same yeah. team that built BotKit. Based on the feedback from developer community, as well as experience during our flagship BotKit-powered bot, Howdy, the tools of BotKit Studio allow bot designers and developers to manage many aspects of bot behavior without writing additional code. So oh, to be clear, okay. yeah, I, I'm not using BotKit Studio. <laughs> I've never tried it. It 
looked a little like those visual programming things that never worked. But the BotKit framework, which I'm developing and using uh, JetBrains' WebStorm, please, please, please sponsor the show, is really powerful. I mean, really powerful. I was able to bootstrap a very basic Slack bot in about 20 minutes. Hmm. Yeah, I'm looking. They have like a, a site you can log into, studio.botkit.ai, and then you can see some of the different bots that are built there in Docs in their BotKit yeah. studio. And they have a starter kit as well, which is kind of handy. Yeah, there's all kinds. Of, I mean, that BotKit studio thing is like their learning tool trying to get people mm-hmm. to so, like yeah. Yeah, that's cool. But though. the actual dev framework is pretty pretty powerful. Hmm. So what's nice and about it, tying into the Microsoft bot framework is that gets you a lot more things. I mean, not, the Slack stuff is nice and the Facebook Messenger is nice, but by getting into the Microsoft bot framework, that seems like that gets you access to a whole bunch of stuff. Well, you know, I've been playing with Slack and Microsoft, and because we use Slack in-house, yeah, yeah. it makes a lot more sense. But I will say, like, with Microsoft Teams coming out, and the Microsoft bot framework being just kind of better in a way. Um, it's not imp- unheard of. It wouldn't be unwise, I would say, for someone to like go all in on Microsoft for the bot building. Send your hate mail to alan at jupiterbroadcasting.com. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, you can tie right into Azure. You can tie right into Skype, which, I mean, do people still use Skype? Man, Alan Jude uses the hell out of Skype. A lot of people uh, use it. Yeah, a lot of people use it. It's still huge. Like us right now, yeah. Oh, yeah, we're using it right <laughs> now. Yeah. <laughs> Whoops. Uh, you know, that's the nice thing about Skype is that's why we use it for this show is because it is so painless that we really have yeah. forgotten that we use it. Keep forgetting there is, it's from Microsoft. The, there is something And it works, it works great on the Unity Arc Darker theme. I just want to throw it out there. Oh, yeah? Oh, so you are using that new Linux alpha, alpha version? I am using you the. Use- uh, I, I I have the cancerous Linux. Is it the says. is it the older like uh, QT looking one or is it the new like Electron app one? Do you know? Well, how did you install it? Maybe that would. Oh no no no! It's the the Skype client. Yeah, the Skype. it's the Electron. Oh okay. The, uh, oh interesting. Good. Well, I've been you. using it for like the uh, last four shows. Yeah, I thought so. I just wasn't sure if that was yeah. on this machine too. Well, that's cool. Yeah. So uh, I like that, Mike. I like that that's working good for you. Yeah, I, I think that's a pretty cool thing. Maybe one time, maybe sometime when you're going to start a product, a project, you could play around with it. See if BotKid's nice. I have a little bot whose name is Gretel that I'm trying to <laughs> nag the team of Buccaneer to fill in their goddamn Jira tickets. <laughs> is that, I mean, is that hard? Is that, but she's very good at it. She's going to become more obnoxious over this coming weekend. So, hmm, hmm, hmm. I, I, I sense tension. I ten, I, that's what I'm getting. There's a lot of tension, and that's what robots are for because they're dispassionate and they won't hear your cries for mercy. Isn't that what we're doing here? We're building uh, the Terminator, right? Oh, I think your uh, reminder just went yes, off. Uh, yes, it did. Thank you, Siri. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what your problem is, Mike, is you need to hold more scrums. That's what you need to do. Uh, oh, I need less. You need to hold more scrums. That's what your problem is. You got to hold more scrums. So, uh, you know, there's yeah. an article that you might like. Then, how does how to kill a scrum zombie? Uh, some scrum zombies go in groups, and quite often you'll find them uh, with a team full of them. A typical team uh, scrums of zombies. Team zombie scrum is uh, they have ceremonies, adopt a good engineering practice, and might even be delivering okay. But all the fun is gone. Everyone's on autopilot, and no continuous improvement is happening anymore. Retrospectives are dull and repetitive. There's a gut feeling in the air that sooner or later the project will miss a turn. 
Does that sound familiar? That sounds like my future. <laughs> last today. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Scrum has a magical way of getting people to want to hurry up and not be the one talking anymore. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, I, I have been drafting this post that I keep not wanting to post um, entitled, Are Daily Stand-Ups Harmful? Because I'm starting to think that Agile is actually insane. Like the idea that every day your vendor will stand up with you and talk to you about what they did on your project today, and you will somehow be happy with what you hear. The only way I think the only reason it makes sense, I think, is if you are charging over a hundred thousand dollars. Well, if if or if you have that many, if that much manpower on the project, right? So to be clear, you have to take everything I say with a grain of salt because we are a very very small shop. So we can only have like two or three projects at a time, um, which means that, you know, there's like two or three guys working on a project, maybe. It's, yeah, I think the other problem uh, is having the vendor in the room. That's a, because you, you then almost have to have a separate meeting to talk, frankly. <laughs> so they're not always saying everything right, they're thinking about when you're there talking to them. Well, like, like no one wants to stand up and say, yeah, but you jackasses knocked out your database server, so we didn't do anything. So we didn't do anything. I just like kind of look at you like that. Like no one wants to come to the scrum meeting and say, I told you it would take a week. It's been a day. I have nothing to tell you. Like I'm not, maybe I'm the only one who thinks that way. And I I have been hearing that like scrum is not working in a lot of organizations. But why, why do it? Right. Like, it's it's we talked about this the ceremony of agile that sometimes gets crazy why why have a meeting all right chris if i were to make you a luscious hamburger <laughs> now you're teasing me because you know i'm hungry now i'm teasing you and i said chris it's gonna take me an hour why would you then call me in five minutes and ask me how any progress on that hamburger I only I have a. I, the only thing I have is a super cynical anti-corporation answer. Well, I have the cynical look too, the anti-client one of because they don't trust that you're actually working on the project. Definitely right? that, one of the reasons. Right, right. Yeah. They they want to make sure that you feel like some sort of urgency and pressure. I'll give you but, the other reason is, and this is the one that's the most frustrating, and why I think it would be hard for me to work in a business again that has more than a hundred employees. <sighs> You know, there is a certain level of people that are there to perform a role, but that role isn't a full-time job. And so they have to create things to justify their existence. And I worked in a business where I saw multiple individuals get put in new roles of more, quote-unquote, management roles. And what they ended up doing was just organizing weekly meetings. And so all three of them carved out their spot on the calendar – and we had our weekly meetings where we all got there as a team and gave updates, and it was the same thing. It was it was a waste of time. And nobody wanted to speak, frankly. I think it justifies some of the middle layer, too. Mm, you're six of the middle managers. It, it gives them, them like... something to be important and to be organizing, and it also really helps consistently defer accountability if it's not set up properly. So I actually think it is poisonous. I think it forces uh, inexperienced or maybe bad PMs on the vendor side to feel like they have to have an update. And I've been guilty of this myself. And like, I have to have something to say that you want to hear. So let me tell you something that maybe is optimistic, right? And then when that thing doesn't come true, 
you'll be mad later. Like, I, I really don't understand why if you have like daily standup, you can't email the person and say, hey, man, I literally have nothing new to tell you today. See you tomorrow. But it, it's almost like it's catechism, right? You have to go through the ritual of having it. Is that wrong? I mean, in, in the IT consulting world, other than like development consulting, is it different there? If you're doing a server migration and it takes three days or whatever. It generally depends on the client and the cost and the criticalness of the system you're working on. So mm-hmm. I've definitely been uh, – I was involved in a week-long email server migration, which was – <laughs> back in the early exchange days, which was a much bigger task, and I was I was I was implementing what you would call hosted exchange or hosted email today. I was migrating a client from a local email server to a really beefy server in my data center, and the process of moving was long. And I did it, it, it went fine, but I met with that client at eight thirty a.m. Every single day, even though they knew it was going to be a five-day workday process. So, so how do you manage that? Like, what do you say? Well, so far, I've managed to get these inboxes online. The backup software has been installed and licensed. I mean, it's just uh, – I actually, one of the skills I specifically had to develop was to quantify all the little things I do um, because I have to – I had to consistently – update people on what I was doing. So I would every couple of hours stop and in Markdown, I would just write bullet points of all of the things I just did. Uh, So I would have something to talk about in the next meeting. So I feel significantly less bad. That is almost precisely what I've started doing. I break down everything into its like minimum non-laughable component Mm -hmm. and say, oh, well, I connected this view to this view and it's passing a parameter now, right? Yeah, the next thing I started doing after that was I started writing in a way where I intended the client to see it. And so at the end of the day, when I would wrap up for some clients, I would just email that off to them. All right, wrapping up for the day, here's what was done. And I would, I would, I would, so, um, you know, instead of saying uh, copied some data over, I would say, you know, migrated data to new. Well, sure, you, you, you. Right, you spice up the language a yeah, little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You make it sound yeah. like it's you use to, you use uh, words of the trade to make it sound like you're not just some monkey, like you're actually a paid professional. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think that's table sticks, right? But I, I didn't really get... enjoy it, uh, and I didn't really ever find myself referring back to it. Like everybody, everybody who, to, who right, told me to do has it, no value. Yeah, really, everybody who right. told me to do it said, "Well, you'll also have a great log of the work you did in case you need to troubleshoot." I, I think twice. In years, it ever was actually all that useful. <laughs> it's, so my feeling on it is like th- these kind of like daily standups or daily updates are more of a sales function, actually. They're more of a mm-hmm. I am managing a relationship. Yep. You know, yep. the most successful thing I could get to happen is for this guy to talk about his kids. But the only way you do that is if there's enough people involved that have the time commitment to be able to do something like that. And the leaner and tighter the company is, usually they don't have somebody that wants to spend the time doing that kind of stuff. Oh, that's never been my experience. I mean, mm. my uh, my experience has always been the client wants to talk. He doesn't understand what's going on. He knows we told him it would be a month or two weeks or whatever. And he's nervous, right? He just wants to, like, know what that means. And it's very, very hard you know, at some point, it's like, hey, we're writing Ruby code and debugging it, and we're going to be doing that for a week, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? Like, at some point, you you start to really get into this granular, like you were saying, this granular level of breaking things down and making them sound. Yeah, well, there was this time we were working yeah. on a project where uh, this was really early days of uh, 
where WebKit was just starting to really kind of get pretty dominant because of mobile. Chrome wasn't huge. Firefox was still fairly pervasive on the desktop. So we had to create this custom uh, – they were uh, architecture drawings, you know, big, huge ones. You have to have like a special printer to print out like the ones like they professionally roll up and stuff. Um, and we would scan them in and then make them available digitally so you could search for different contracts and pull them up. And we had to come up with the way to zoom in on these architecture drawings because there was nothing really pre-built at the time. And it took it took probably, I don't know, uh, three and a half weeks. And they wanted it done in like two days or something because they wanted – because there was more and more people calling up on freaking iPads. And more and more people had iPads every – it was this unbelievable avalanche of iPads and – and so they were getting pressure from their from their clients, from their customers, I should say. And so they were really hounding us. And it was we were literally we were we were we were literally creating a viewer for a proprietary file extension that was rendered in browser with no extensions, and then having to come up with all of the methods to interact with this huge image and zoom it and how to render it so it worked over LTE and 4G because these people are on iPads on mobile connection. It took us a long time to get it right. And then it took probably another couple of months of debugging and they did not understand what the hell was going on. And even with lots of annotations, they were just – they got it done but they started to they started to suspect uh, – the developer, was he taking his time? Should he be working here or working at home? Like that was, you know, those questions started coming up, which is uncomfortable. Yes. And now there's probably something out there that you could probably just buy, license, whatever. Or find on GitHub. I mean, copy pasta from somebody's <laughs> unprotected Dropbox share. Yeah. yeah. And now Chrome is so common. Like we didn't really. We didn't really have a lot of people on Chrome, so it was it was difficult to get really great. Te- it was just a it was a really awkward transition period, and it was coming from IE and ActiveX, and so and everything they had everything all dialed in in ActiveX. <laughs> of course, you had to like run your browser in yep. lower security mode. But <laughs> I was just saying, I love ActiveX. It's uh, the easiest way into somebody's computer. Yeah, actually, they <laughs> really were like there's a DLL. I can't remember exactly, but it's some crap. So that's yeah, that's the. It really depends on the Scrum. Like this article that we have linked in the show notes, actually uh, gives some really great suggestions on how to fix it. And so again, it really depends on the team and the implementation. Uh, Jupiter Broadcasting rarely has all team meetings, uh, or you know, even and that's just with the production staff. Like we, we just don't really. I find it easier to just correspond individually with people, and people are working on their projects. I'm working on my projects, and sometimes so, that works because sometimes we we launch secret projects, and you know we keep it kind yeah. of. So the way it tends to work, um, kind of for us over at Pioneer, is I end up doing all this client meetings, right? Mm-hmm. I do all the scrum. Yep. Yeah. So like the team doesn't actually go on the scrum. I do. Yeah, of course. But that leads to some awkward situations where the person I'm talking to doesn't really understand that I didn't do all of the development. So, like, they'll ask a very specific question. I'm like, ah, let me find out. (laughs) You know, I'm the dumb, pretty PM. Though I'm not that pretty. I've gained 50 pounds since we started doing the show, Chris. We got to do uh, podcasting standing up on treadmills. That's what I want to All right, Chris, so the Docker badge was really bad this week. You know what I've really, just we won't spend much time on this, then we'll transition, because I've actually got something I think is really cool. But um, I have been, this year I have learned that stress is, it has a huge factor on how much weight I gain. Like it makes I can I can I can diet right, but if I don't get my stress under control, I'll put on a lot of weight, and that's something you just 
I guess you just probably. Yeah, no, I'm feeling the same thing. Any period, like the fourth quarter of every year is usually quite rough for me. Yeah. Um, I gain like 10 pounds. Like, you know, it sucks. It sucks. And I gain it all Santa style, which is good because then I pick up an extra gig at the mall. Hey, there you go. There you go. And you can delight the kid. Well, yeah, Mr. I Dominic, I want to shift gears because I actually have something I think is pretty cool, maybe pretty positive, yeah. and something I've kind of recently just started doing accidentally myself. And then I found this article. But first, I'll tell you about something I'm doing intentionally all the damn time, and that's Digital Frickin' Ocean. I'm spinning up droplets like I'm a crazy SOB. This is my new policy. If I have to install packages on my system, I don't bother. I just go spin up a droplet in seconds, and I try it out there. And what I love about it is often I can get like an entire stack of stuff, like with the Docker container, Ubuntu LTS, Nginx set up perfectly for forwarding. I get all the right GPG keys signed from Docker upstream. Updates are installed. The correct kernel's loaded. It's good to go. Click, click. I'm trying out this thing. I love it for that. But then I feel like when I mention that, I'm not giving enough credit to the systems I have running running 24 freaking 7 all the time that are just back there, my my own personal cloud services that I've set up and managed, and DigitalOcean has been a rock-solid infrastructure. They have SSDs for all of the systems you spin up, so the I.O. flies. They've got 40 gigabit e-connections into the hypervisors, so your downloads and your uploads are screaming fast. They'll probably saturate your home connection. And you can get started at just $5 a month. Use our promo code, code or digital, one word, smush it together and apply it to your account. Once you sign up, you get a $10 credit. They also have hourly pricing, and they have a great interface. Don't, don't worry if this isn't your bag, if you're not a server person. And don't worry if you are a server person. This isn't going to frustrate you. It's not, it's not a baby interface. It's not a baby interface. It's a really good, well-designed interface that's very powerful but easy to use and has a nice, straightforward API you can take advantage of right away. Go over there, DigitalOcean.com, and use our promo code CODER Digital to support the show and get a $10 credit. If you need a computer without a monitor, <laughs> really, DigitalOcean, it's so nice. Now, and they actually do have an HTML5 console where you can see it from post and uh, do all kinds of things. DigitalOcean.com, use a promo code CoderDigital. Big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. So I, I like this idea a lot. Now, I know this is maybe a little pie in the sky, but this is, uh, this is a kind of a cool concept to keep, people, to keep people cranking away at their trade, to keep you interested, to keep you creatively occupied and to keep moving your skill set forward. Uh, it's kind of like uh, exercise, I guess, in a sense. It's making time for side projects and creating a daily habit out of it. And I'm, stick with me for a second because think about it. Side projects for developers and for creative professionals uh, are a great way to grow. They get you out of your comfort zone. You can learn new skills and you can exercise your creative muscles. But it can be hard to get anything done when judging a daily, when juggling the daily job, the freaking kids, those friends, and oh yeah, family, and countless other commitments that always come up. In the past, I've tried to cram side project work into cracks between other items in my calendar, and it was frustrating at best and completely ineffective at worst. I completely felt like I was shortchanging the projects I was most passionate about. Over the last two months, I've taken a different approach. I've been cultivating a daily side project habit. Each and every morning, I do something to push my side projects forward, even if I only have 15 minutes to spare. I've seen great results so far. And I've learned that a small, focused task done daily beats a sporadic effort every time. And he, he points out, you know, it's honestly easier to get started. It's, uh, it's hard to gather energy for a new project. And it's even harder to start one after it's sort of been left absent for a while. 
But working just a little bit every day means you never lose momentum. It's easy to pick up where you left off because everything's still fresh in your mind. And pressure's off, which is kind of nice because you just have a certain, a certain cadence, maybe an hour in the morning or something like that, two hours in the morning if you get up early enough. And once you have a daily side project, uh, if you have a bad day, and you will, it's going to be okay. There's always tomorrow. It's not like it's like a, it's a law. Uh, you could become more relaxed with it. And it, it kind of gives you a chance to try new things and explore new things. And I happen for, for, for about, about three weeks, I've been getting up and doing some things with photography just because I, I haven't it's, – it's something that's been interesting to me, but I haven't done a lot with it. And so, and I just, I live on the coast and it's really gorgeous and I don't know if I'm always going to be here. And I just wanted to just spend a little time in the mornings just creatively scratching that itch. And so I've been getting up at five and, uh, you know, doing a little bit of work, uh, getting, getting some emails done typically or do or prepping a show or whatever. And then as the sun rises, I go out and do the photography stuff. And then I come back and take my shower and I head out and I come into work. And so I'm up at, I'm up at five about 5.30 this morning is when I got, actually got out of bed and got some work done. And then at about 7.30, I went out and took some photography stuff and did some just, – just got some really cool stuff done that I've been wanting to try out. And then I got down here and now we're doing this. And it's been, it's been nice because I'm, I've been doing this for a while now and it's kind of just become like automatic, like well, just part of the cycle. I'm just doing this. I'm just getting up and I'm just doing this. And I didn't do it over Saturday or Sunday. Because I have the kids and stuff, but <clears throat> it was it was it was just I just picked right back up today because I enjoy doing it. And, uh, I don't I don't get the time otherwise, and uh, the morning seems to be working really well for me. And so I have kind of had a, a daily habit of uh, of taking a little side project here and there, and it's a neat way to uh, experiment with something that I don't spend a lot of time with, and it's giving me ideas for stuff to to improve in production here at work. So it's actually been pretty good. It sort of fed the. Back is all come back in to what I do. What do you think? I don't hear you. You've lost. I've lost you. You're, I hit the damn hardware button. You're thinking about Donald. Okay. Yeah. Well, so what do you what do you about. think is this? Is this um, too pie in the sky? A daily habit of something like this? It's pretty pie in the sky. I feel yeah. like if you don't set yourself to a schedule, though, it won't happen. Like the daily aspect of it's both what lets you off the hook a bit, but also is what makes you actually do it. You know, that's got to be really hard, assuming, like, the pressure of actually doing this. Well, if you enjoy the work, it's not so bad. I mean, the pressure of actually doing, like, client work or employer work. I think if you have a regular 9-to-5 job, it might be easier. Does that make sense? Yeah. Sound crazy? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I have so, – so I've done daily shows in the past, and one of the things about the daily show is it's tough – but it also the, the the having to do it every single day puts you in a cadence where you can just you can do something you couldn't normally do. I, I don't know. I'm, this idea of doing it every single day kind of kind of feels like it is it's the way to push you over the edge and and actually give you a little bit of that creative push. And as long as you're enjoying the work and and you like doing it. Um, I th- I don't know. I think it's a nice way to get a little satisfying bit of a of a of something in before you have to go in and do off the, go do the rest of your day. I like that. I know that now. I got all that photography stuff done today, and it's not sitting on the back of my head. It's, gosh, I would, I'd love to be able to go out there and do that. I've already done it before I even came into the office. No, that's fair. That's fair. 
I, it's worth reading the whole thing. It's you know, I just I just blasted through it really quick. The whole, I think it's worth reading. Uh, if you've been if you've been toying with a side project and wondering how to get started, that's why I wanted to put it in the show. Is for you out there in the audience, and it's worth reading. And it might inspire you actually, you know, to get rolling. Yeah, I think that's kind of kumbaya a little bit. It's pretty kumbaya. So. Um, I guess by now you – oh, yeah. By by the time this is aired, the whole election's over. You and I already know the results because we streamed it live in theory. And uh, we are either living with a with a Hillary president or a, or a to be or a Trump president to be. What we're really living with is now a, a, an Obama who's not going to get anything done. <laughs> well, we've been living with that for a while. hey All right, Mr. Dominic. So, well, is there, uh, is there Hello, anything everybody. else you'd like to cover before we get out of here this week? No, that's it. All right. Well, we will be live back on our regular time next Monday. So go over to jblive.tv on Monday. We do it at noon Pacific. But if you don't know when the hell that is, just go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. And the monkeys can convert it to your local time. You can email us at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact. Visit us throughout the week at coderadio.reddit.com and submit stories and your votes. You can help impact the topics we talk about there. Mr. Dominic, would you like to send anybody to any place online if they miss you? Manuko on Twitter. Oh, at Dumanuko, that's clever. That's a clever. You could you could follow me at Chris Elias, not not as clever, and at Jupiter Signal for the network. Thanks for being here, and we'll see you right back here next week. <laughs> <laughs>